What's up, everybody? Welcome to the VSM Real Estate Podcast, getting you closer to massively successful people in the Twin Cities real estate market. I'm your host, Andre Anderson. Today, joined by Jake Johnson. Hello. And the man himself, Ryan Schroeder. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Today, we're talking a little bit about uh, Minneapolis and recent changes. Oh, fun, fun, fun. Fun, fun. Yeah. 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 So, City to anybody ordinance. who hasn't heard, uh, and they've been they had been on the works about it, talking about it for at least a year, mm-hmm. um, but they did just pass into uh, law an ordinance that mainly rejects. Well, let's just start with what the Star Trib says. As of September 13, 2019, Minneapolis landlords will face new limits on their ability to reject tenants because of their criminal history, past evictions, or credit scores under the new ordinance that was passed by the City Council unanimously in September. So we were talking a bit about this. Some of this stuff is uh, pretty industry standard stuff, restricting how far back you can consider uh, certain felonies, certain misdemeanors, um, evictions, which isn't the most out-of-bounds things. But then you were telling me about some extra stuff that was buried in the ordinances, like Mm -hmm. security deposit restrictions. Yeah, it looked like it was capped at one month's rent, um, which is very significant, and I think that uh, it, I think that really harms a lot of people. And I mean, if you're a landlord uh, with probably increased expenses to offset risk, uh, both financially and then physical damage to the property, mm-hmm. what's going to happen if you max or if you cap out mm-hmm. a, uh, security deposit at one month's rent? Rent is going to go up. You know what I mean? So it's it's. I find it kind of ironic that I can see what they're trying to do, which right. is to make housing more available to more people. But I think it's ultimately going to backfire on them mm-hmm. because now landlords like myself look at it as, okay, well, I don't get to choose who I put in my property. And on top of it, I can't get a larger security deposit to offset the risk. So, you know what? Mm-hmm. I'm just going to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Right. They're shooting themselves in the foot, at least for the smaller investors, right? Mm-hmm. Like the people that we work with that have one or two properties, I could see that being a disincentive for them to mm-hmm. go into those markets. Now, if you're Ackerberg Group and you're building, you know, 3,000 apartment units in Uptown and everything, that's not really going to impede your desire to to necessarily go into those markets. But I think the single-family home mm-hmm. operators are going to be the ones hit hardest by this. For sure. And not only that, but, you know, of course, you know, as you, like, we both um, just now and then probably in previous conversations, like I see what they're kind of doing or whatever, but you know, they forget about basic economics and how things mm-hmm. get impacted. I actually see this harming uh, the group that they're trying to uh, help the most. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? In terms of, uh, like, of course, they don't want slumlords to, uh, or people only going to slumlords because that's where yep. they are only qualified. But mm-hmm. uh, by putting in more uh, regulations and, like, hefter, like maybe heftier fees or, mm-hmm. you know, stricter laws, a lot of times uh, uh, this kind of situations will actually promote that situation rather than, you know, deter it. So Right. Well Oh sorry. I I I would think that if I were the city of Minneapolis trying to find a solution to this, mm-hmm. the city providing some sort of what I'll call rental insurance for the landlords, where if you take mm-hmm. somebody who doesn't meet your traditional criteria, they'll provide some coverage to you in the event that they damage the property or, or yep. skip skip out on the rent or something like mm-hmm. that. I could stomach that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because then the city's putting their money where their mouth is. But then to just charge these rental conversion fees and rental license fees and then tell you you can't choose who you want and you have to limit, you know, they're they're really stifling capitalism, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and, and I, I don't, I've never looked up the data, but, you know, generally speaking, in America, 
the plurality, if not the majority, of business owners are small business owners. Mm-hmm. I've got to believe that the landlord demographic breaks down along somewhat similar lines, whereas you'll have institutionals who own a thousand doors in apartment buildings, but most of your business owners are the onesie twosie landlords. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're the ones who are either going to have a hard time making money under these new requirements. Um, or be entirely disincentivized, and you know they'll. Like I always talk about inheriting grandma's house and turning it into a rental. They'll inherit grandma's house and they'll sell it for either a wash or a loss, just because they don't have any good options. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the level of care that they'll be put into any of those properties if they're just scraping by or you know operating at a loss. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're basically pushing that smaller demographic that has, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like may- they maybe have a limited income on their jobs, and mm-hmm. this is just kind of like a side thing. Uh, and you're kind of squeezing them out, you know what I mean? And that's where a lot of the group probably wants to go mm-hmm. work with private landlords, especially, you know, right now, uh, where they could just offset risk by increased security deposit or, you mm-hmm. know, uh, maybe looser, yep. you know, rules uh, mm-hmm. for private landlords in comparison to a property management company or something like that. So, you know. So I have a question. This is just a theory, but do you think that this is geared towards trying to create a disincentive for landlords to own properties in Minneapolis so that, home ownership can kind of be restored in that market because mm. i mean i'm just thinking it through like if they were if this was a chess move to them to make it more difficult for the onesie twosies because that's who i think are getting most affected and they mm. say screw it i'm selling and then uh it drives down prices because a bunch of inventory hits the market and then uh, owner occupants move in and I, I mean, don't know. I mean, it's just a theory. That, that that would deal with, you know, that'd be one back back alley way to get at the affordability index, but it's not going to. Um, uh, I mean, subprime lending is not what it used to be, and I don't think it's ever going to go back to there. And just generally speaking, um, you know, a lot of the people who are living in rentals, especially in maybe harder hit neighborhoods that the city is looking to gentrify, uh, might not qualify for traditional. So unless the government were to get back into huge subprime lending incentives. I don't see how that could work. Uh, honestly, I think they're just they're trying to fix half of a problem and forgetting about the other half of the equation, which is the mm-hmm. landlord has to make money. Um, but it might be. Yeah, it's not even addressing the, addressing the core issue. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? If they put maybe some sort of programs together to help raise awareness on what impacts your credit score or something like that and more or less mm-hmm. raise people up rather than trying to push landlords yeah. down or you know what I mean? Well, what's uh, next? Rent control? Uh, I was, saying, I was just yeah. going to bring that up, too. I mean, it yeah. seems like that's the next thing, right? Right. Now they're going to tell you how much you can charge for rent. Mm-hmm. Ask um, people, like, look at L.A. How's it, how's it working out? I mean, in California, I think they, they, um, they're they trying to implement rent control at a state level, mm-hmm. which that'll just destroy their landlord economy. Mm-hmm. Um, New York's had rent control, and you'll know, watch any TV show, and all you see is the slummy apartments and the landlords bitching about rent control and, Tenants are complaining that the place sucks, and and then the people that have uh, like these like you know uh, prime locations are being rented out by super wealthy people, and they have a couple of different ones of them or something like that. Yep. And like the it just is like a huge right. screw up. Yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, certainly there needs to be a, a certain amount of government oversight to prevent people from preying on the weak. Right. But. Um, too much government oversight is stifling the capitalists. I mean, right. I mean, it's just it is what it is. I mean, the way that we operate our business, we don't even really need to be told to do things the right way. We buy properties, we fix them up, we make them nice mm-hmm. because we want to get more rent and we want to get the high quality tenants who you know have the income and the credit, and it all just works very mm-hmm. organically. Mm-hmm. Um, now, certainly. 
there needs to be a place for people who are low income and, you know, have credit issues or uh, or things like that. But I, I agree with Andre. I mean, it's more of a systemic issue that I think needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. And um, like, for example, how about putting financial education as part of the curriculum in Minneapolis public schools? That I, would. I have to imagine that would have a more profound impact than this law. So. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would think a million fold. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's most people are not financially educated at all. You know what I mean? It's not no. a part of the public school. Not, mm-hmm. I just again, I think they're, I think they go after businesses in general. Um, this is not super related, but Walmart is suing a bunch of counties in Minnesota, saying that they're being picked on by the counties and assessed unfairly. And mm-hmm. for for me to think that. Um, cities don't pick on businesses to pick up a larger than their part of the bill. It, yep. I mean, I just, it is. It, mm-hmm. it is that way. Like, mm-hmm. Let's be real. So, Well, yeah, they always go for the deeper pockets. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the misconception, though, is that every business owner has deep pockets. Mm-hmm. A, I mean, a lot of people who are business owners, they first off, they, they pay themselves last. I mean, you know this firsthand. The I business do. owner gets paid last, and that first real milestone is having a business that will fund itself and your life, which is just, uh, you know, the, the a- average state household income is like, what, 53.5? Something like Which that. is a very menial income. So that means that you're lucky if your business will generate $50,000 in profits as a sole proprietorship. Um, that's not a hell of a lot of money. If somebody starts coming at you with $1,000 conversion fees or or uh, you know, making you take a, a significantly higher risk on your investment, all of that costs money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Let's not forget Minneapolis has some older housing stock that yeah. just is always needing something. I mean, when mm-hmm. when we have older houses, it's leaking foundations and mm-hmm. furnaces that need to be fixed, and there's sometimes asbestos and lead and all these yep. other things. And well, mean, what have you done for overall gross investment uh, in in real estate this year so far? A couple million. Definitely, I would say in the three to five million range, I would have to get a calculator to get you the exact number. But but your goal is probably do 10 times Mm -hmm. that amount over the next five years. Mm -hmm. And Minneapolis has basically precluded themselves from a chance at that money, at that investment. That's a good point. I mean, I'm looking to invest about a million dollars a month into buying and fixing and selling property. And so um, I'll just skip right over that city, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. for them. And think of how many other people are thinking the exact same way. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. The yeah. 2040 plan, I liked that. I thought that was smart. It was a good step. But, but yeah, then they but just like kind of undid it. And um, the 2040 plan, I get, I, that's all about their trying to increase their density mm-hmm. and increase their tax base and you know population and all that kind of yep. stuff. Um, and I can appreciate that to a certain degree. And they want to become like a carless city and all mm-hmm. those kinds of things. But um, I don't know. I just well, and, and let's be honest, Minneapolis does kind of need that. They've got so many people, and still outside of the immediate downtown area, it's a lot of single-family homes and duplexes, which is a a low-density housing model. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's what in the the 11 county metro area, there's like what 2.4 million people. I mean, it's a lot of people, and it could be uh, a lot of that that urban pressure could be alleviated with a, a little bit denser housing mm-hmm. options. So that makes total sense. But then when they come in and, and it appears that they're trying to screw over the people that they need to take advantage of that p- program to create this housing, I just I just don't see how it's going to happen. I don't know if the city council is disconnected, uh, like you mentioned, from economics or if they're just being very, very tunnel vision and trying to help one particular demographic of a consumer uh, and forgetting about the rest of the equation. But I don't think it's going to pan out very well at all. 
Yeah, the higher I feel like the higher range of of, of inventory for real estate re- rental real estate uh, really won't be affected that much. You know what I mean? Uh, I think most of it is addressing it's trying to address you know maybe mm-hmm. uh, some of the lower range and yeah. problem neighborhoods or whatever. But yeah. um, at the same time, like it's it's like a band aid, but there's like spikes on the band aid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that will or maybe like uh, something that it will just like promote like infection rather than. Well, I mean, you if you look at the transaction to purchase a home, the mortgage company and their requirements, they're fairly similar to what a typical rental application is. And if you go to buy a car, same thing. So, I mean, it almost begs the question, where does it stop then for Minneapolis? Are they going to start saying that banks can't, you know, look at your credit and income to decide to if you to loan money in your city? Yeah. Um, are they... Are they going to, you know, I guess it's just almost like you're, you're taking the power to make decisions with your own properties and businesses away from the people who own them. So I just mm-hmm. feel like that's not a good move. And I used to, mm-hmm. and one of the other things, since we are St. Paul people, we're always comparing ourselves with Minneapolis. And I used to say, oh, St. Paul, they're so, you know, antiquated. They want to protect all these old buildings, whereas Minneapolis has it right if, if something's old and obsolete, they just knock it down and build mm-hmm. something great in its place. And um, I'm curious to see how this law will affect the amount of multifamily housing that goes into the area. Because, um, you know, again, if I were the owner of that building, I'd like to have some say on mm-hmm. how many people right. with, you know, poor credit and all that mm-hmm. other stuff go into my property because it, it will it could be a potential detractor to the clientele that's willing to pay market rent. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. well, and again, some of the stuff is I think it is fair and well intentioned and makes sense. Like, yeah, you've got a felony conviction from twelve years ago. Oh, yeah, you should oh, that, yeah. factor yeah. that out of the equation. Right. But we already we already do that as a company. You right. know what I mean? We look at what the, the seriousness of the crime is and the in the duration or that it's been. So I mean the businesses are already sort of self policing themselves. I mean We'll look at somebody with lower credit if they put a larger security deposit to offset the risk. We'll look at somebody with you know, a criminal record as long as it's not, you know, last week. Yeah. Um, so I think that to a certain degree, the businesses were already doing a pretty good job. But then again, I don't know what went into their decision making to, to think that this was a necessity. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. No, no. I, yeah, I don't even see where outside of um, maybe other communities are having issues with it. Again, um, the the city won its uh, appeals lawsuit about the Section 8 requirement that they uh, pushed through last year. Mm-hmm. So that went through two levels of appellate court. They lost the, fir- or they lost the first appeal. They won the second appeal. Mm-hmm. So it was reinsured that the city could mandate people to take on Section 8 tenants. Uh, I haven't seen anything yet, but it would not surprise me if this one ends up in court also. Mm-hmm. I think they've overstepped. They've, uh, they've sort of just gotten the way of capitalism. And the last I checked, uh, Minneapolis, the Socialist Republic of Minneapolis was mm-hmm. still in these United States of America. So right. Um, well, so yeah, mentioning the bigger picture, pair that with the the um, uh, raising crime rate. Like we've seen the videos as as of the time of this recording, it's early October, um, but there's been a rash of videos over the last two weeks of uh, decreased uh, officer presence downtown, both in Minneapolis and St. Paul, with people getting assaulted and robbed in broad daylight. Wow. Um, video of a, a man in a wheelchair at the Green Line who was. Uh, knocked out of his wheelchair and his cell phone was stolen. But I mean, you, you pair all of that. Like you want to, uh, gentrification is a bad word these days, but it's really not. You want to improve the quality of life in your city, 
It's getting dangerous in the in the urban, like downtown regions. Well, those will always have a higher uh, ratio of crimes, and just because more people are mm-hmm. together. Yeah, naturally. but but you but. look at and and I'm not saying this as a political thing, but Rudy Giuliani, when he got into New York, he campaigned as mayor. He was mayor, right? Mayor mm-hmm. of New York. He campaigned on uh, reducing the crime rate, and he was really aggressive. And for the first time, and it was like 25 years, their actual crime rate in New York went way down. Oh. So it's just a policing thing. I don't know if I, if Minneapolis is underfunding policing, but you pair that with some of this housing stuff, how is all of this going to have the end result that you want for your community? I mean, unless they had like an actual plan to like, it's uh, of course probably more or less a cultural issue. You know what I mean? If people are not like mm-hmm. respecting each other and they're getting into fist fights and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff, right? Like you don't have that in Japan, you know? It's right. Like, so like, if, unless they had like some sort of actionable plan to address some sort of you know, maybe mm-hmm. those key issues, um, then you could get by with, you know, maybe less screening or less police mm-hmm. force or whatever because you wouldn't really need it. But you'd still need to have some on the reserve. But, yeah. So now that we've all kind of uh, uh, said our two cents mm-hmm. about the city, I don't know, off the top of your head, is there anything that might be a, a reasonable or a fair alternative that might actually make all parties happy? You know, I think what their ultimate goal is is to have less barriers for people who, you know, may not otherwise qualify. Mm -hmm. So I think that, like I said earlier, and I don't know if this is even a reality, but um, maybe those rental conversion fees and rental license fees go into a pool to protect landlords who, Mm -hmm. you know, basically accept people who don't qualify, you know, you could, you can almost like, you can be a tenant and say, well, I don't meet the qualifications and the city approves you Mm -hmm. and the, the government backs you up for taking that risk. So it into like an asset pool for an insurance plan. Like, yeah, like they have $35 million here. Yeah. Like they have a super fund, for example, for, um, for unemployment and Mm -hmm. work comp and those types of insurances where a, a percentage of those goes into this fund that the state controls so that if, a business or insurance or some somehow there's a breakdown and it doesn't um, happen the way it should, that there's money to be appropriated for those things. Yep. And so um, if if Minneapolis would have taken that approach, I would have said, okay, fine, I can still invest here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm not getting anything like assurances out, out of the gate, just knowing that they're there to back you up if if you take a chance on someone and it and it doesn't work. Yeah, you got your thousand dollars security deposit, two thousand dollars of damages and old rent. Mm-hmm. Come vacate, and you can file your claim to the city for the difference. Yeah, and the city will give you interest-free loans to fix your property, or you know something like that. Like yep. provide some sort of security for the landlord as well, because like you said, Jake, um, there's there's two sides to this equation. It's mm-hmm. not just the tenants that need protection. It's also the landlords. Like Andre is a landlord in Minneapolis and um, you're, you're in your 20s. You're by all accounts not a wealthy man to be able to just take $10,000 you know, hits because your tenants trashed your place and left. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that could mm-hmm. derail your whole you know, aspirations. Potentially. And ten, 10 grand isn't a fake number. Oh, like, I've seen I've seen oh, thirty and fifty thousand yeah. yep. dollar damage before. All you need is somebody who hoards cats, and there goes almost the whole house. <laughs> or that's not a joke. Twenty six thousand dollars to clean uh, cat piss soaked uh, uh, floor joists. Ooh, uh, not yeah. clean. Cut them out and replace them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you wouldn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'll come back and piss all over it again. <laughs> yes, <laughs> once it's there. Can't but I mean, it, it happens. Like, uh, yeah, fixing a house is not cheap. And then on top of that, what if like 
some pipe breaks mm-hmm. in the basement or yep. a hailstorm really screws your roof up. Yeah, we're yep. talking about you know things out of even the the, the tenant fans, let yeah. alone the things that they can control. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. well, I don't know. I hope that somebody files a suit, and it'd probably go down as a class action. Um, and then I would say, if it is a class action, I would hope that you guys who have the ability, anybody who might be listening also, that has the ability to opt in on that class action does so and make sure, even if, you know, uh, just make sure that you get heard. Even if it just continues the conversation going out, I hope that this isn't the end-all be-all. Of course, yeah. It'll be an evolution, I'm sure, and, you know, progressively go one way or the other. So, we'll see. We'll see. All right. Well, thank you for joining, everybody.